0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Nairobi Ideas Podcast, a podcast that gives a public platform to the Kenyans changing the world with their big ideas. Nairobi Ideas Podcast is brought to you by the Mawazo Institute, a Nairobi-based research institute focused on female thought leadership and public engagement with research. I'm your host, Dr. Rose Mutiso, CEO of the Mawazo Institute. We're excited to launch the Nairobi Ideas Podcast as part of the 2018 Africa Science Week Kenya. For our first few episodes, we'll be chatting with scientists from our Faces of Kenyan Science campaign. This is a multimedia, multi-platform campaign featuring 20 Kenyan scientists who showcase the diversity of Kenya's contributions to the global scientific enterprise. We'll be sharing stories of their work and scientific journeys through a number of creative outlets, including this podcast. So today's guest is Kago Kageshiri, co-founder and former CEO of Eneza Education, a leading mobile learning platform with presence in three African countries. Hey, Rose. Uh, thanks for joining us. You are first ever Nairobi Ideas podcast guest. I'm very excited. This is um, one when we go big. I don't know. Should I give you shares when we when we do an IPO? Oh, okay. oh,
1: yeah, oh, yeah, oh yes, please. Yes, please. Just, uh, <laughs> just mention you, that you, I was you, somewhere you're in, in the You're air, in yeah. on the ground
0: floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, OK, so, Cargo. I mean, you're a really interesting guy and I, I you know, where to begin? Let's maybe start uh, the early years. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where do you grow up? Where do you go to school? What kind of things interested you? You know, trying to get a, a picture of, of how and why did you end up where you are? Early days.
1: Sure, sure. So I grew up in uh, Ongatarungai. Uh, that's in Kajado County, for any for who do not know. <laughs>
0: so not in <Northern laughs> Nairobi, FYI, my mom actually lives in Kajado like you, in Ongatarungai.
1: I grew up in Ongatarungai. I went to school locally there. Um, I was very lucky to, to be in a, in a good school. I mean, that, we still performed like, um, you know, top 20 the like, the in the whole country. It was called Olerai. Uh uh-huh. um, And this
0: is an eight for four government school.
1: Eight for four private school. Uh huh. Um, started by uh, a Maasai family that was uh, quite prominent in Rongai. But yeah, it definitely had um, you know very different sort of like discipline from what I've seen in most uh, primary schools. I also grew up. I also was very privileged to grow up with computers. My dad was an engineer, so you know ever since I could walk, you know we had pretty much the computers which were like briefcases where you know when you <laughs> open the briefcase that was yeah. like the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. You put one like floppy disk for yeah. the operating system. Uh-huh. and one for the other, so I grew up um, uh, with computers, and I naturally had an interest for um, you know doing stuff on the computers. Not much gaming, but just like seeing whether I could make the computer do what I wanted. Um, and so the kinds of things that interested me when you know in 1995 we uh, my dad started I think probably the first privately owned cyber cafe in town. And so that's five. 1995. I'm
0: like, did the internet even exist in ninety five? It
1: did. It was when you... Died <laughs> Interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay, this is crazy because I think like the first like web search engine was barely invented in 95. I think Yahoo, Yahoo days, was, came yeah, in 94.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yahoo was, was, was the king then. Google was not even... So
0: who are... Like month. what was even the infrastructure? Like who are the internet service providers in Kenya in, in 95?
1: There was only one. I mean, it was the government. Uh, and then there was Africa Online, which was also sort of had a, like a lot of ties to, to the government. I guess they had made, you know, they because they were so early in the game, they had they were sort of like a government partner. So I think f- my dad's cyber cafe was like the first sort of like hustler, entrepreneur. And this cyber of cafe, I swear,
0: was it in Rungai? If the first cyber cafe no, was no, no, right, no, was, no, no, this would blow my it mind. At,
1: it was at Jethalal Chambers in in town. Um, and I remember back then, browsing for 15 minutes used to cost you 6,000 shillings. Wow. Um, people didn't know how to write emails. So, you'd, you know, it was also a service to like type people's emails and like send faxes. Mm-hmm. It was pretty like... Um, you know, pretty old school, um, you know, very old school sort of like internet eras.
0: Awesome. So, I mean, those are kind of very uh, unique tech tech beginnings for the times and for the place. Yeah. Um, so then maybe bringing it back to the present, what are you working on these days?
1: Um, so, I mean, so these days I'm just trying to use tech, you know, for very useful practical situations. I mean, you know, because I was introduced to the internet so early, um, I started coding maybe when I was about, you know, seven, eight um, and for seven years, I pretty much tinkered with with technology, which means I was just building stuff just for the sake of building it. And then I think I got bored with that. And so, you know, the only logical step was then to create tech to help people. So, you know, while I was in school in Starehe, I sort of built like, like a very basic Facebook Messenger before um, Facebook Messenger actually existed. Um, later with my best friend, we went to build on a magazine management system for Insider. Okay, a Facebook and so,
0: messenger for Starahe?
1: No, no, no. It was just for high schoolers. Oh, so back wow. then, it used to cost 10 shillings for an SMS, 20 shillings for a megabyte. Um, and a megabyte is pretty much a million characters. So essentially, you could send tons of SMSs over the net. Uh, and I remember we had an argument with my dad because he was like, you know, how are people going to know that they have a message waiting for them because you don't have any way to notify them via SMS? And, you know, I think when when we saw this grow from like five people to like 30,000 people in like two weeks, you know, we realized that, you know, the internet was something that would actually pull people on. Okay. And so
0: this is, amazing. I'm trying to imagine this mm-hmm. uh, 844 high school, boarding school, people don't have phones. It's the uh, early 2000s.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, the, the best phone was, like, the Nokia 6030. That sort of, like, Nokia, which looked like an egg yeah. and had, like, a color screen. So, as like you're creating this, one. like,
0: yeah, who are the customers? Who are the clients? Like, who is even, like... Like, when you're envisioning this, like, who who are you making this for? So,
1: Why? I, I mean, I, I was the client, right? I mean, this is high school form two. You want to talk to the girls. <laughs> and this five-bob SMS is, man, like... Like, you know, back then, before even, like, the Xaxa and all that stuff, like, you had to make sure, like, you were using that 160 mm-hmm. characters. And so, for me, I was like, how can I, like, you know do more and obviously like 50 shillings of airtime was crazy to ask you know for from my dad and so I, I figured out let's build this platform um and pretty much we're gonna make it cheaper to to send text over over the okay. internet than than sending text so before the...
0: you were like creating tech to save the world you were creating t- tech to uh dart Chile's
1: yes i i guess i guess is... and i have my friends wingman for 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 all my high school people okay
0: so <laughs> Fast forwarding now, and what you're doing with Anesa? How, how do these like? Uh, how do these pieces fit together?
1: Um, I think the pieces fit together because I worked a lot with people who didn't understand how to use technology, right? Even the the high schoolers, basically, who used our platforms, they didn't know how to use the internet. But because of the value proposition that we were presenting them, where you can send you know 2,000 texts for the cost of four SMSs, um, I think sort of that's where I found my niche of like discovering, helping people discover really what tech can do for them. Um, and I did that, you know, between 2008 and when I started Anesa in in 2011. Um, Credit Reference Bureau, you know, buying uh, Safaricom stock via SMS, um, buying um, all kinds of shares, monitoring your portfolio. Um, you know, it, it was really sort of like whatever, I, I think I learned that whatever you can do on the internet, you could do sort of like with very simple tech. And I think it made me very, very um, happy to do that. Just sort of like the the amount of value you can get in devices that, you know, people I thought see. couldn't do anything.
0: Then, I mean, you've had all of these different ventures and experiences. So then how did you set settle on edtech. Maybe now would be a good time to tell us a little bit more about Ineza, what it does what the platform is and, and and as part of that like why why ed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean I can just tell you the the founding story. So it's basically um you know my co-founder was a, you know white lady working in Mohuru Bay uh, with a community trying to like you know create her um, you know create sort of like better educational outcomes. Um and I felt really challenged by this because you know someone from Rongai you know, thinking like, wh- how would I ever like show up in, you know, in Muhuru Bay all the way in like Homa Bay. And this lady like dedicated, you know, two years of her life um, just teaching. And, you know, she didn't like tech in the classroom because as a teacher, she felt like technology should be um, sort of used away from the classroom. And it should be, me- you know, classrooms should be meant for sort of like that uh, quality student interaction. Um, and I felt very differently in terms of, you know, I felt like, you know, classes should be only tech and like very little like human interaction. So it was a very interesting meeting when we met at the um, uh, IHUB in Nairobi through a friend, you know, she wanted to build something like this. And, you know, based on all my experiences, both in building tech for for people who've never used tech before. And, you know, I had a lot of difficulty with school, because for me, I didn't believe that, you know, putting someone in, in a in a classroom for you know you know 7 to 8 hours or in university the fact that you know it's showing up to class that was sort of like the first thing that was tracked um i believe that things should be more remote and so what came from that is we created a very simple uh, math, English and Reproductive Health Bot um, The Reproductive Health Bot was because We wanted to debunk some myths so a lot of the Students thought like if you stand upside down for example That you'll you know you'll lose your pregnancy And so uh, we were sort of like creating this content Just to tell young people that hey I know you're hearing A lot of things but this is actually sort of like The truth um, you know around this And this is the curriculum around that and that grew Basically into what Eneza is today um, With lessons and assessments in all subjects All the way from class 4 to from 4 In all subjects in, in pretty much uh, Three three countries
0: okay uh, I mean that's I mean congratulations because you guys have millions of users right which yep. is pretty incredible but how does I mean where does the tech make the content because creating the platform is one thing and you know is it's a versatile platform you can use it the same kind of general concepts to um, create a, a, a chatting service for people to like talk to the chiles or you can you know use it for you know to message with people with educational content but like it seems like a lot of the work is in the content absolutely. how do you guys do that
1: absolutely so I mean we we have a very different model from a lot of other ed ed companies I I mean in a lot of countries you'll hear people saying that we don't want to hire teachers to create content because teachers are already being paid by the government Um, and as I took a very different approach Um, you know obviously we wanted to you know give teachers more income so we found the top teachers in in, in school Uh, we had them uh, sort of learn how to create content for 160 characters Um, when we had the partnership with Safaricom we could essentially now make it you know, 400, 500, 1,000 characters because with the model that we created with Safaricom, you basically pay uh, 10 shillings for unlimited text. Um, And so we had the teachers create the content and the teachers could work remotely and we paid the teachers sort of per content created. Um, And then the teachers would also double up as sort of like the chat chat tutors for uh, our students. So it was based on, you know, empowering teachers and giving them income to be able to basically support, you know, way more students through a very, very easy medium.
0: I mean, that's great. I'm glad you're supporting Kenya's side hustle culture.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and, and obviously, oh, I mean, the other thing with Anerza is that we had I had to figure out uh, one one platform that figures out everything, right? I mean, textbooks can scale in the way that SMS can scale. And so for me, it was very important that, you know, with very few people, you can essentially change the lives of, of, of many, many more.
0: One thing that I've been observing and a kind of keen observer of um, tech in kind of different, you know, social contexts, like achieving different social goods and in the ed space um, and actually, I think broadly in all the, you know, tech for, uh, for health, for med, for education, for all of these things. To what extent do these tech solutions kind of displace, disrupt, or are complementary to kind of the traditional brick and mortar, traditional approaches to education? You know, is, is it possible for ENESA to kind of displace the need for traditional teaching and all of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's a controversial question, right? I mean, I think all tech could, you know, very well, you know, replace um, talent. But, you know, as you see in the med field, you know, tech uh, is being used to diagnose cancer, not essentially do the treatment. Um, and I think as technologists, we also have to think about how we're onboarding people onto automation because very fast automation also like creates, you know, anxiety. Um, and I've seen this sort of in the company as well. I mean, our company was very lean because, you know, we automated uh, e- extremely well, but we also had to have the element of training people how to sort of like work with automated tech. Um, and so for us, we thought it was extremely complimentary. I mean, I didn't want sort of like to change anything, you know, politically. I feel like when you start changing the curriculum, it's, it's a political thing. I mean, we obviously had our extra content where students could learn about being, you know, uh, being a gentleman. Even like when you're an adolescent, it means that you don't like throw your strength everywhere. But I think those are just things that more like debunking myths and things that kids need to know. But, you know, we looked at like what are the difficulties of, you know, in in the classroom. And one was like students are sharing textbooks. Uh, Teachers don't give individual feedback. Um, You know, I used to be in, in Olerai. I used to get a lot of individual feedback because the school wanted to also tutor the very top uh, students mm-hmm. And I was thinking, no, and if I wasn't a top student, I wouldn't get that extra tutoring. And so how could we essentially automate that for a lot of other students? So it was a, sort of like a virtual teacher's assistant. Um, and, and, you know, we thought if we're going to sort of like start to take people's work from them, we're going to make it extremely organic so that those people are finding um, sort of like new ways of, of teaching students um, and using our platform instead of just coming and saying, well, now a student doesn't use a teacher anymore.
0: OK, so who is your typical user? Is it a student by themselves at night? At home, is it a teacher who's using
1: another? Yeah, so we have we have a we have a, you know four four typical users. One is a student, so the student is primarily um, taking content to be able to sort of fail faster, right? I think the value proposition to students is that they can fail so much on the platform that even in class you can see their confidence grow up, uh, and so they don't have to um, feel bad or be scared to answer questions. Um, the second person is the teacher, so we actually have uh, content for teachers on the platform, and we have over fifty thousand teachers who've taken sort of this like new classroom management course just because we realized that there's not a lot of like teacher development that happens after the education degree Um, the third person is the parent obviously so we have sort of campaigns which are geared at changing parents' behavior on how um they're involved in education and this is primarily around like winning airtime and school fees mm-hmm. um, and through that we found that hey parents are winning like 10 shillings because the student did something and then parents now start to like care or like what is the person doing on the platform and then we find parents calling us and saying okay how do I do this, this with my student and we 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 we, we we really like that um we've even found homes where all three daughters um in the home sort of one school fees for the mother because like they would wake up one would wake up at like 2 a.m Uh, To like 9am The other one from 9 to 2 The other one from 2 to 9 This is child labor It's
0: not
1: I mean it's not child labor Because they're studying But when you talk to the students And you ask them You know how does it feel Yeah Yeah. how do you feel Sort of like being able To participate in your school Feels like you can see Sort of like a sense of Of like fulfillment Because they didn't have to do Sort of anything That they're not supposed to do There was essentially Just through doing the things You're supposed to do We can sort of like Create this world of abundance And I thought that was really cool That's really cool
0: That you found ways To incentivize um, involvement because a lot of these solutions are like, you know, very motivated teachers, parents, students who opt in. And and this is a way to kind of broaden that net to make everyone kind of incentivized to go in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Okay, so one thing I try, so I I always try to have kind of like take the long view, like Mm -hmm. a spectrum view of kind of progress, right? So looking backwards, looking forwards in ed and tech, you know, like I was thinking, you know, ed tech is something that has existed for a long time. Obviously in our day, you know, the ed tech was like a logbook. Um, For those kids out there, a logbook is a, how would you describe a logbook it's a, a computer that is just tables on a piece of paper
1: yeah it's like a paper abacus i guess uh, <laughs> yeah it's you know it's, it's kind of
0: like that movie hidden figures uh where yeah. the computers were humans uh, in this case you know you're the human who's a yeah. computer sweating calculating things during KCSE exam yeah. yeah people have been kind of attempting this kind of improving education and adding kind of educational aids and tech right and and now obviously we've had this like massive tech revolution and all of these different edtech solutions um, um, and as I being in that spectrum are part mm-hmm. of it. But mm-hmm. looking forwards, like, what are we seeing? Like, in this kind of long line of kind of ed tech that, uh, you know, includes the logbook, the abacus, and the logbooks, the computers, the graphing calculators, you know, the messaging, interactive mm-hmm, remote mm-hmm. learning platforms, like where, what, what, what is this all building to?
1: I mean, I mean, that's that's a super, super interesting topic because, you know, I, I met with my friend um, who runs um, a Blipper and it's like an AR platform where AR, I mean, augmented, AR reality. augmented reality mm-hmm. platform where basically you can point your spectacles at anything and it'll pretty much tell you what it is. And the argument we're having is that if you have sort of spectacles that can calculate and do all this stuff and tell you what you need to know even before you you know it, whether it's looking at a chair that's broken and reordering one or telling you where to drive on the road. I guess what would be the things that people need to learn, right? And I think that's sort of like automation in, in the sense that the logbook became the calculator, became the computer, became the phone. I think what we're seeing and, and you and you mentioned it very, I, I like that you mentioned the logbook is that, you know, the brains of the young people are going to be very different from ours, right? I mean, the logbooks, crea- log, logbooks created synapses in our brains that these kids are just never going to have. They're going to be more consumers of information and search as information instead of sort of like creators of um, you know, sort of like, you know, the new way to calculate stuff. Mm-hmm. That's probably already been done. I think what is more exciting to me is I think the the place that people have to actually add value to the community. So in the same way that these kids sort of like help their mom create school fees, I believe that's collaboration. I don't think that's child labor, I'd call it collaboration. And I think what we have now, as much as our technology is advanced, is a lot of kids still being told, you know, you're the future leaders of tomorrow. We the first time someone manages their their finances is when they've sort of got their first job after university. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, what we need to challenge is that paradigm, right? Is how do we start getting collaboration, you know, with students at at much younger levels? So some of our students, for example, they take our Ask a Teacher platform and they run sort of like this neighborhood study groups. And so you find that an eight-year-old essentially is a teacher. I don't know if they're charging other children (laughs) or not, but like basically an eight-year-old has taken up the leadership Mm -hmm. today and is able to use a skill that they know, um, or even just a platform that they use a tool to be able to help others. And I think that's sort of what I'm looking at in the future of education. I think it's just how quickly we onboard our our kids onto skills, right? I mean, for me, like for my child, if I could look back at my own um, growing up, I feel like maybe it could have made a difference if I was given the the school fees check to go and deposit at the bank. I think that would maybe have given me some level of awareness as to what's happening. Mm -hmm. But we're sort of like hiding these kids, you know, I guess, you know, trying not to get them to grow up as, as, as quickly. But again, I think there are opportunities to sort of like bring kids into sort of like problem uh, solving yeah. and I think that's probably what uh, if someone figures that out that's probably what's going to win in, in education
0: uh-huh. uh, this is um, I think you put that really succinctly this idea it's it's not knowing the how but the why because the how will be kind of pretty much done for exactly. us Exactly, really cool so I think bringing things to a close here um, this is the Nairobi Ideas podcast and we are really trying to get to the heart of kind of people and their ideas and we've talked a lot about you and your ideas but um, you know taking it up to the stratosphere, mm-hmm. highest level. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the world that you dream of? What is the vision mission that fuels you? Like, what is your big idea? What are you working towards?
1: Again, I, I, th- I think my big idea is just is just around, you know, making sure there's no in- inequality of skills between between Africa and the rest of the world. I mean, for me, I got a, a pretty good head start in, in, in coding. And I feel like up to, you know, maybe four or five years ago, Africa was pretty much at the level with uh, other countries until machine learning came along, which was like very crazy math right like this is not the stuff you can sort of like self teach yourself like math you'll probably have to go and learn you know some really crazy you know algorithms to be able to sort of like execute machine learning well and i feel like that's sort of like what keeps me up at night right so we have a lot of people coming into the country um with a lot of skills but those skills are not leaving right and i think the future for me is a is a future where sort of like any child at a very young age can access content to at least excite them about sort of like this big things like where the world is moving whether that's medicine whether that's uh uh, neuroscience whether that's um you know you know you know machine learning and all this stuff and and i think the kind of world that i dream is 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 a world where if you look at a community like in Meru, a student wakes up, goes to school at 2 p.m., you know they leave school, you know a group of students and the lecturer go out and they work in like um in 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 the community and you know not nothing like physical labor, but you have students like doing customer service, you have students doing like helping with stock taking, you have students sort of like helping sort of like with some of the soft skills that you'd expect so that for two things, one is that a student maybe is 14 years old and they've already worked at like seven businesses. Um, and so they have sort of like that business mindset. And the second thing is that when they want sort of to start something, instead of going to Nairobi, they can get together with the other students and be like, okay, we we have now worked in this sort of like area, or we've interned in this area. What can we do more for our communities? And I think uh, that's a very important note to make because I think you know I've always sort of like identified with Rongai. I've never like needed to identify like with Nairobi or anywhere else. I, I always feel like very close to home. And I think everyone needs sort of that ownership. Otherwise, what we get is just like this rural to urban migration that will. I mean, it'll move the progress, but I think people need sort of just more ownership of like their own communities and how they can add value there.
0: This is really interesting because I think that one criticism sometimes of like the various kind of imposition almost some people think of of tech. In, in kind of lives in different contexts as, you know how does it connect to your everyday life so these kind of lofty concepts like AI and neuroscience and you're just a kid who is like has to wake up and work in the farm uh, before you go to school how it's you know there's this is like a tension between you know every kid should be curious every the whole universe should be open to every kid and everyone should you know has has a stake in in, in, in being interested in the lofty ideals but then how does that connect to your everyday reality and, and I like what you're describing about it's all interconnected um, Ex- exactly Forward while being grounded and in, in connecting to where you
1: are. Exactly. I mean, I think we if we give if we give our our young people a chance to be fulfilled. I think it's more fulfillment. I feel like. You know, even in my tenure at Inez, I've, I felt extremely fulfilled. Anytime I had a really hard time, i just go and ask a teacher and like answering three questions would like give me energy for like another three months. And I think it's that idea. It's like if we give young people a way to have real world applications of stuff and, if, and that could be like in, the, in their community, right? I mean, I don't think, you know, if, if I knew my neighbor's child was at a certain like kiosk, let's say during, during piloting this sort of like internship program, I'd probably go to that kiosk more than I go to others because I know that I can also sort of like see by myself that this child is learning how to smile all day irrespective of like a customer's attitude right and i think i think that's what we need to give our kids we need to give our kids opportunities to collaborate and and an extremely aggressively otherwise tomorrow this leadership of the future tomorrow thing that will never come and we already have kids doing it and i think we just need to you know share those voices share those stories and 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 get everyone listening more and i think in africa we also have uh it's not a loophole but i think in africa because kids have been working um you know and and this is not like proper child labor um without sort of governments looking at it i think we do have a framework where we can create sort of like a new type of sort of like soft skill work that would probably not be possible in first world countries and I think yeah. that's an opportunity we should be looking at right now yeah you know sometimes I yeah. think
0: just growing up like having to um, Nawisha, like you know you know, the, the, the guests like, when guests come in you go you greet yeah. them you help them wash their hands you know you know how to um, interact with like a very senior aunt uncle like we mm-hmm. had all of these almost semi-professional customer service skills kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ingrained from such yeah. a young age um, but then I think that was kind of paired with um, be seen not heard a fear of like uh, exactly. it, it was a double-edged where you yeah. you have to do these kind of uh, build the soft skills, but you're also terrified. And so how can we... Um,
1: exactly. How can we change that, that narrative? And I think if we do that, I think Africa has a chance to completely supersede, you know, some of the first world markets because there, you know, you can't even touch, you know, some of those you know areas they're just like very black and yeah. white and in Africa there's sort of like this gray area that we can turn into like you know, different colors I, I'd yeah. like to say
0: awesome okay this has been really great um, Kagwa. I've really enjoyed this conversation I, I wish we could go on forever I think there's there's so much here to, to flesh out and so I, I I really urge our listeners if you ever find this man on the streets pull him aside buy him a coffee uh, <laughs> force him to talk to you about yeah, all of these you can find him uh, on really LinkedIn
1: inter- LinkedIn 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. you, you don't people are just random strangers bring you coffee on the streets, okay?
1: No, I mean, before, not not on the streets. I think LinkedIn is better. I, I like okay. meeting people first on the screen, and then okay. I can stop you, okay? And then, okay. And then I can vet you for this. All right, guys,
0: I've rescinded my request. You do not have permission to stop this man on the streets and <laughs> harass him. <laughs> Add him on LinkedIn. Um, um, and and um, what are you on Twitter? Is, what's your website?
1: Uh, uh I mean. I'm I'm mostly active on LinkedIn LinkedIn okay. yeah LinkedIn pretty much um but my Twitter is kulemantu so just like the way it is, K-U-L-E-M-A-N-T-U. I'm a bit I'm a bit active there, but if if you want to have like a conversation, I mm-hmm. like having conversations with people, I think LinkedIn would, would work. Awesome. Well. Thanks. Yeah. All
0: right. So um very final question. And this is uh, again another one that uh we'll be asking all our guests, kind of closing reflection style. So it's a little bit cheesy, but I think it's still a helpful thing to ask people who do cool things. So what is the most important advice you'd give your younger self? And I want you to frame it in terms of one thing you would tell your younger self to stop doing, mm-hmm. start doing. Continue doing
1: Sure I mean I think I think in terms of One thing you sh- You should keep keep doing. I mean, I think one thing is, you know, standing up for your own ideas and chasing your highest excitement. You know, I feel like, you know, the the times that I was, you know, very depressed in life, I'd look back and say, you know, why, why didn't I like obey or why didn't I conform? Why was I always like asking why and why? Um, But for the times that it's really working out, you can really sort of like connect the dots. And I think by chasing my highest excitement, it allows me to, when I'm doing something new in life, always look back and I always have resources, people I met, relationships I built, and they always sort of like help me towards something. And I think if I, didn't drop out of school um if I you know or, or do something that's sort of like I was struggling with I feel like that area of my life would be sort of a blank place where I might mm-hmm. not have been able to mm-hmm. uh to leverage stuff
0: so keep following your highest excitement yeah keep following even, your highest even excitement. when it's not fitting the expectations yeah 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 it will yeah,
1: it'll, it'll, it'll definitely it will definitely make sense yeah. la- later what would you uh, stop doing what would I stop doing I think to my younger self I think I'd stop trying to to look for problems right I mean let me put it like this so like a lot of the things the things that have motivated me is people telling me like you can't do stuff Mm -hmm. right and that really motivated me my dad was like well this platform's not gonna work um you know people were like you know all all my life I've I've almost sort of just been Mm -hmm. the most motivated when Mm -hmm. people tell me I can't do something and obviously when you sort of like have something going and now people are looking to you and telling you cargo everything's great it it was actually very hard for me because I'm Uh like okay where's the where's the voice of like something can't happen everyone's telling me cargo you know this vision we're gonna do it. And it was very, very hard for me. And I think for me, that's what I'd have said is like look for also things that, you know, motivate you positively, right? Yeah. Education was like, you know, I have to build this, you know, tech thing because, you know, if we don't, you know, this rampant mm-hmm. burning of schools is going to be like rampant something else right and yeah. so it's like I've, I've i've really learned how to like change that view and almost then turn that view into positive of like okay what if we roll out apprenticeships or oh, then we can you know you know create healthier communities where people have more fun seeing each other working and stuff like that so so i think that's that's what i've would told that. myself to that, change that's
0: actually a really uh yeah. a really a really great um kind of flipping doing the same thing yeah kind of like it's the
1: same thing it's the same it it's the same thing way. you just have to change sort of like your, yeah. your perspective so and like and less contrarian positive. and more kind yeah. of additive exactly awesome exactly. and what would you exactly. Start doing. What would I start doing? i think i think uh building building um healthier relationships right i mean for me you know my life has been a a very lonely life i mean obviously because i've spent probably 70 percent of my my life behind a screen um and i think it's got me i think it's got me where i I need i need to be but also you know a lot of my um some relationships have suffered just because you know when i'm sort of like into you know building products and building these things a lot of my friends will say it's like Cargo has a new girlfriend right it's like he wouldn't talk to you you even do that because cargo loves like picking up problems and solving them and i think what i'm i'm starting to do is now sort of like try and build um healthier relationships try and sort of you know, invest invest in 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 people instead of like investing myself because I'll be able to finish the ideas. It's like you know, building communities around me who can learn sort of from 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 what I've been able to do and and you know can also sort of like you know jump in and and, and solve 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 stuff with me.
0: Okay, that's really great though. Uh, tech mediated r- relationships, so LinkedIn. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're not
0: ready to jump too too too, yeah, too, too much yeah, intimacy. Yeah. Not not quite yeah, ready.
1: Yeah, yeah, step step organic. <laughs> Let's forget it. organic. Um, no, I mean I even with it. my co-founder, yeah. like for the first we were introduced yeah. to a friend, but. for for the first six months, we never talked face to face. I mean, I told her, "Don't call me on the phone. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't speak on you the know, phone. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very I've, much."
0: I'm also. I really <laughs> being back in Kenya, I've had to really get used to um, yeah. talking on the phone. I just like um, texting emails. Actually, I prefer emails. and yeah. Most people I, I find locally don't do emails, so I'm also kind of stretching myself, but still being true to myself. So I still prefer text-based communication yeah,
1: yeah. a lot. I mean, I think we're in a chat generation, and the next generation is definitely going to, you know, value value chat more than voice. But I think. Just like the logbook, I think I want to. I'm, I'm still sort of. I've lived enough in the age where people talk to people that I'd want to yeah. build that uh, definitely okay. much more.
0: Awesome. Um, that's all we have time for. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Kavro. This has been a really fun conversation, and I, you know, very much look forward to all the amazing things that you have uh, in store for you, and all the ways that you will change our society with your big ideas.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've been working with education. Now we're doing something in in energy. So I mean, hopefully you know, the next few years of my life is going to be sort of like killing kerosene, killing charcoal. So, so yeah, I've, I've got another big awesome. problem Yeah, solve. well,
0: let's talk about that. That's, that's what um, I work on, on the side.
1: Nice. nice. Yeah, awesome. let's definitely chat. Let's talk,
0: let's talk energy. Okay, <laughs> next, next, next podcast. Next podcast.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Energy in Africa.
0: All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> If you want to listen to this episode again, or if you want to hear more from the Nairobi Ideas podcast in the future, you can find us online permanently at www.mawazoinstitute.org. And for the next few weeks, you can also find us at www.africascienceweek-kenya.org. You can also subscribe to the Nairobi Ideas podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thank you to our sponsors, the L'Oreal Foundation, Johnson & Johnson Innovation, and the Next Time Forum. From all of us here at Mawazo Institute, thank you and keep it nerdy.